Okay, the halachas of Dalad Minim are fairly complex. There are uh, more than four simonim in Shulchan Aruch on it, one for each uh, min, but then there are simonim that deal with all them together. Uh, it's important for the consumer to have uh, at least a uh, basic knowledge of the halachas so they uh, know to some extent what they're doing and know what's a question and what's not a question. This year, the halachas are a little more complicated because of the fact that we're coming out of a Shemitah year and uh, the fruits, the Esrogim at least, those are grown here in Eretz Yisrael, uh, still uh, might have Kedushas Shvius, uh, the sanctity of the sabbatical year and as such, in terms of both their care after Shavuos, excuse me, after Sukkot, let's get the holiday right, uh, as well as in terms of uh, being aware of certain rules concerning purchasing them, also one should be sensitive about that too. Okay. Um, I'll try to be mitzamtzeim, to be somewhat briefer than I had given in previous years, just time constraints, and uh, so uh, it's right for Yom Kippur, and a lot, lot to be done. Um, so just uh, by way of introduction, uh, before we learn these halachas, uh, it's important to just take a step back and uh, see the forest and not just the trees. Baruch Hashem, we live in an era where there are literally hundreds of thousands of Esroigim that are produced by uh, the farmers here in Eretz Yisrael. And that's something that was not meant to be taken for granted. Uh, and certainly shouldn't be taken for granted. Something that uh, when agriculture was first being developed, the time that Esroigim first were produced, it led to a lot of great simcha. A lot of great joy, and like lots of things, including technological advances, uh, if we're born into it, uh, we don't really reflect on how wonderful it is. And uh, again, there are a lot of nevuas about this, so Eretz Yisrael will blossom again after many thousand years of exile. And uh, Baruch Hashem, that uh, we are so to see at least uh, the first uh, fruits of, uh, of that, the divine blessing. So, whereas we'll see that there are those who prefer to buy Chutzlot's uh, Esrog, especially this year because of certain Shemitah issues, and certainly that the viewpoint should be respected, but uh, one should uh, certainly, whichever route one goes, should marvel at the fact that Baruch uh, Hashem, there are hundreds of thousands of Israeli Esrogim to the extent that they're even being exported, even though that itself is a, an issue that has to be dealt with. It's not, we're not going to concern ourselves with that because I assume most of you are not flying to the U.S. to buy an Esrog there. So I'm going to focus on the halachas here, but there is somewhat of an issue in exporting Shemitah Esrogim outside of Eretz Yisrael. Bottom line, we permit it, even though it's debated, but care has to be taken in terms of what to do after if one is buying an Israeli Esrog in Chutzlars. But we're going to deal in Eretz Yisrael. Okay. Um... Especially uh, concerning Esrogim and uh, Lulavim, but uh, there can be issues with Hadassim too. It's always a good idea, after you open your package, or if it's already open, to show it to a Rav uh, who has experience with this to make sure that uh, A, it's uh, kosher, and B, that you got what you paid for. If you paid a lot of money, let's say, for what was labeled as a Mehudar Luluv, so you don't want it just to be a basic standard, you want it to be a higher standard. So, uh, besides the Rabbanim of the Yeshiva, myself not included, because I don't think I'm going to be available here in Yerushalayim, unless you stop by Beit Shemesh, and my expertise is somewhat limited in this regard. But uh, if you're buying, let's say, in the major marketplace in Meisharim, all you have to do is ask someone who looks, uh, looks ultra-Orthodox, uh, where's the base hero? That, 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 that's the key word to know. 
If you say Bey Tara'at, I'll understand you too. But if you say Bey Sorah, so then you're Bey Sorah, you're talking their language. And there'll be lines that are uh, manageable, and uh, you'll get a psak. They're going to tell you, kosher, mahudr, etc. Rabbi Kwash shared a humorous story about Mordech Eliyozatzal, one of the big rabbonim in the Sephardic world, Ashkenazic world too, except he was a Sephardic uh, rav. Um, so he was a, a world-renowned expert in this uh, topic, other topics too. So someone got online and wanted to show the esrik. So uh, so he looked at it. He said, "Kasher, It's kosher, but it's not. Uh, it's not fancy, fancy. It's not uh, beautiful." Um, so the boy was not happy with this psak because he thought it was a nice one. So he had someone else uh, ask. He got back online and someone else asked the question. Wait online, like maybe, maybe an, another hour or something, so the rav would have a chance to have a fresh look. So he looked at it after an, again after an hour, and he looked at it again. He said, Kvaramarti, Okay, so I guess in addition to his halachic expertise, Rav Marachayo had a very good uh, memory, which is not surprising. We usually go together. So it's a very good idea. I would urge, urge, urge the boys to do that, if, uh, unless they know the halachas well on their own, to uh, consult with the Rav to uh, okay their esrig and uh, lulav. The Adasim usually are certainly going to be kosher, but uh, there could be issues there too. Once you're ready there, you can check them, check it out as well. As well. As well. Uh, a Rav is, you got to really bend over backwards to be puzzled, so you could rely on the packaging. Unless you see that it's cut off, so then you know it's puzzled. But... Uh, other than that, or most of the leaves are missing, as we'll see later. Okay, broadly speaking, especially in a Shemitah year, and let's focus on that a little bit now, um, there are going to be different uh, ways that uh, things are going to be packaged. Uh, in the past, people always would buy things uh, open market. The Srogim would be displayed, the Hadassim would be displayed. I remember when I was growing up, they had a bucket of Hadassim. I'm sure Rav Mishulam remembers this. Uh, you picked out your dasim and you looked for Mishulash, and uh, we'll get to later what Mishulash is, and then you uh, got to work. I guess together with the uh, you know the era of instant coffee and uh, prefab buildings, etc. So uh, people want a simpler life, so everything's prepackaged. Uh, you could still go to the certain areas, especially with Esrogim this year or less, uh, to get things that are on the open market, they'll love them as well, and usually if it's not packaged, you usually get it for cheaper, but now uh, a lot of, lot of schoira, as they call it, schoira is the, the Hebrew word for merchandise, also made into Yiddish, as the term schoira, so it's uh, packaged, so you have a lovin that are labeled kosher, mahudar, mahudar, aleph, aleph, you have to be concerned about the inflation in titles, like harav, hagoyin, hagodol, that can mean an ordinary rav, and harav, hagoyin, hagodol, maozim, hagodol, rabbin, shokol, b'nei hagoyla, so that means someone super-duper special. So the same thing with lulavim. Sometimes mehudar means basic hidur, and then you have mehudar aleph, and mehudar aleph, aleph, mehudar aleph, aleph, super special. So you have to look at what's there to see what, what's the top of the line, if that's what you're interested in buying, and, you know, go down from there. It's like jumbo eggs. Jumbo eggs are like... Two madregas after large. Okay, so uh, that's uh, inflation in titles. Just to be aware of that as well. Okay, so uh, the lulavim are uh, are sold open, but they're very much sold packaged now. You could even go to Yesh, which is a major supermarket, uh, and selling uh, Mahadran products. So they have all the meaning. <laughs> they started that about five years ago. and uh, A lot of times you can get it cheaper there than, uh, than elsewhere. There's nothing like the Mayashar market because they have a lot of competition. 
that brings down the prices, but there are reasonable prices there too. I'm sure Osherat also sells Mina. So they're selling only the prepackaged. They have no time for the clerks to start t- selling it and stuff. It's only in boxes. So it's something to keep in mind. It's another way to, to, to get it. And Adasim also, very rare that you'll find it in a bucket. You're going to find it in a package. More about that later, but to be aware, it should have a good Ashkocha. I have any doubts, so you can contact the Rabbanim if they're aware of uh, the particular Rabban question. There are many known Rabbanim, both in the Haredi world and the Tilami world, and uh, if they put their stamp of approval on it, so that means that they're authorizing it. Okay. Uh, especially in the Shemitah year. Let's talk about this a bit. So, uh, Hashgachos, in general, of course, on food is very, very important, and they're also important in this market. Um, I don't know how widespread a problem is, but there can be issues of gezel. If you have uh, some fellow selling lulavim that doesn't, you know, seem to be uh, someone reputable, then he could have gone to public property and chopped down lulavim, and that can be an issue of gezel. He might be doing the city a favor, because maybe the trees need a haircut, but not necessarily. So you have to be aware of that. It's also relevant for schach. It's not relevant for the boys. I don't think you're building your own sukkahs. But when, when and if, Bezrat Hashem, you decide to build your own sukkah. So if you're buying the palm fronts, you got to do a little bit of investigate. Where did you get this from? You get it from public property. You got it from your own property. You buy it from people who are getting it from their own property. So you have to be careful about that. In the past, Yeshiva has learned the third parrot called Lulav HaGozel. The stolen Lulav. So sometimes that can be Lemaisa. So part of Ashgach is... Uh, not a guarantee. Someone could have stole all the Israelim with Ashkocha. Okay, but uh, one Ashkocha to, to make sure that uh, and uh, just uh, an assessment of who's selling it. Someone who doesn't lay, looks like uh, you know Chaim Yankel, Sticky Fingers Goldberg, so maybe you shouldn't buy from him. Okay. Um, okay, so and uh, uh, the of the uh, Minim, so the only food Min is an Esrog. So an esrog in every year needs ashgacha, just like food needs ashgacha. So in a, in a regular year, if one is buying a chutzlar, it's esrog. One of the esrogim out there in the market is a Moroccan esrog. They're actually fetch a pretty good price because they're a lot of times very high quality. So be aware of that. So again, you want to want at least a testimony that that's where it's from. They're usually paler than the others. A lot of them have pitams on them. Um, so that doesn't need hashgacha on the kashas. But if it's an Israeli esrog, so it's a holy land, so it has more mitzvahs to it. So in a regular year, you have to have hashgacha that is not orla from the first three years. That trumos and maestros were taken, which are the tithes that have to be given to, theoretically to the Kohen and the Levi. And nowadays we don't give it to them necessarily, but at least has to be separated. And in the Shemitah year, it has to have hashgacha that uh, Shemitah was taken care of. So here, there's a lechatchila and a bidyevid. Lechatchila means on the initial state of things, bidyevid means ex post facto, what you're allowed to rely on. So it's well known, and it's not our topic now to go through all the laws of Shemitah. A few questions already came up on the group, but I thought Shemitah's over, so why so much Shemitah talk? So uh, the agricultural Shemitah year is over in terms of the fact, as Rabbi Cohen posted on the group, that you're allowed to do work now in the land. You're allowed to do gardening, etc., agricultural work. But uh, the fruits that grew during the Shemitah year have the sanctity of Shemitah, even though they're harvested after the Shemitah year. So that's, uh, that's why not only concerning Esrogim, Esrogim are not starting to grow after Rosh Hashanah and then making it to the market right now. So all the Esrogim that are going to be Israeli that are on the market are all uh, 
relevant to the topic of Shemitah. You'll see what I mean by that in a certain vague way because there are different ways that that is dealt with. Um, and the same is true for other fruits as well. Not a topic for now, but to be aware as you shop perhaps for your own uh, goodies in the various supermarkets to be sensitive to that. Believe me, there and things calm down after Yom Tif. I hope to get together Rabbi Cohen and post you know, some kind of bu- bu- bulletin item to what to be aware of and there are also dates to be aware of, but that's the Shemitah topic. Now we're back to the meaning. So, broadly speaking, how is Shemitah dealt with? So, either you ignore it and you violate Shemitah, so that's not a good idea. Um, and, but let's talk about that for a moment. So, maybe that's not my problem, because that's the farmer's problem. So, can you buy an asterisk that has no Ashgacha with respect to Shemitah at all? So, this is a machloket haposkin. It's something called Shamur v'nevad, a fruit that was guarded illegally during Shemitah, or it was worked illegally during Shemitah. Does that... Does those, do, do those activities, namely keeping it as an owner and working it, does that prohibit the item in question? So that's a serious question. Famously, the Chazamish, one of the big poskim in Eretz Yisrael from the last a few, few generations ago already, so he ruled leniently on this. It's a debate in the Rishonim. It's a debate in the early authorities. Some are stringent on it, some are lenient on it. And since there's so many astrogam on the market that don't have to rely on that, so why should one start off with that? But I'm just pointing out there is a basis to allow um, uh, the astrog to be mutar, at least ex post facto, even if Shemitah was totally violated, because that might be the farmer's problem, not your problem. Um, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, the halachic ways to deal with Shemitah are uh, basically uh, three. Um, one is very broadly kept here in Israel by uh, many, many uh, Shomri Torah mitzvos, even though it is very unpopular in the quote-unquote uh, yeshivish uh, Haredi world, and, uh, but is more, much more popular in the Tilami world. But you'll also get different answers on an individual basis uh, from uh, Rabbanim in the Haredi world on a case-by-case basis, and that's called the Hetem Achira. The Hetem Achira, of course, I don't know if there was ever a share given on it this past year, but uh, basically, uh, similar to Mechir's Hametz, uh, there's a formal sale that's done with many Israeli farms sold to a non-Jew to permit at least certain forms of labor and to remove the sanctity from the fruits because then it becomes non-Jewish land. There were many objections to that heter, starting from the fact that it's a legal fiction that makes it not even legal because it's billions of dollars of land and, and it's just not... Uh, um, sufficiently of seriousness enough other than just a stamp on a piece of paper to be considered valid. And many say, no, it's, it's legally binding, so it does work. Similar to Mechir's Chalmets. There are other issues too which we can't go through now, but uh, um, so there are many who do rely on that. So you're going to see uh, many Esther uh, in the market that the Tuda, the certification, is going to say, I'll pee at the Mechir. Um... As we're going to see in a moment, that's a little better in terms of the fact that maybe that's not my problem. Okay, so it's not out of the radar screen to buy a Heta Mechira Esrog. Uh, you're not asking the question as a farmer, you're asking the question as a consumer. Much more preferable is the, the other solution for Shemitah issues. It's called Otsar Beisden. Otsar Beisden, which are the fruits that are uh, occasionally making their way here to the, to the yummy section in the dining room which uh, have Kedusha, and they proudly wear the Shemitah label, and they're not trying to remove it through selling. And uh, usually the farmers are, are doing a great mysterious nefesh, because uh, they're not making as much money as they do at all in any other years. 
And the Otsa Basin, in a word, is where you pay for the labor and not for profit. Okay? The exact parameters of that and what the pricing is about, I'm going to get to in a moment, but uh, in terms of the relevance to Esrogan, and that's part of the objection to it because some people are unhappy with uh, the pricing scale and they, are you really only paying for the labor or maybe it's just a, another form of legal fiction. But when it's labeled as Otsa Beisden, so then the fruits definitely have sanctity. Uh, unlike the angle of the Hetamachira, if it doesn't work, then it has sanctity. Ah. Joke's on you. But if it does work, so then it doesn't have sanctity. But Otsa definitely does have sanctity, but you can still use it for the mitzvah, certainly. And then there's another approach. So some of you might know someone with a backyard esrik, and they keep Shemitah, and they will mafkarit, and then uh, you just pick an esrik. So they have a farm or two like that outside Beit Shemesh. I didn't track it down. I'm not going there. I don't have time. But uh, I'll, I'll say in a minute what I'm doing. Uh, not a minute, a few minutes. Um, and that is a possibility. Maybe uh, through the bus line you say, oh, we're going to get onto the bus and we're going to go to Beit Chilkia or something and maybe they have a Pardesim or the Srogim and maybe they still have a good few picks. Of course, probably you better go quick, otherwise uh, people got the good stuff already. So that's uh, the, the, the best way to keep Shemitah, just uh, half care without Oitzah Beisden. If you have access to that, that certainly is an option. Just be aware, if you're plucking it, you got to pluck you don't pluck the fruit like you do during the year. You got to cut part of the part of the stick as well, as we're going to see later. Okay, my recommendation when you go to the market is to so you're not buying a hefker esrig uh, because that wouldn't be in the market. Is to only if, if you're buying an Israeli esrig, which I personally recommend. Baruch Hashem, Hashem built up agriculture in the land of Israel during Shemitah too. So let's try to navigate within the halacha to do so, and not. Uh, opt out by buying a Moroccan esrik, but there are those who don't want any problems with the Shemitah stuff, and I understand that, I respect that, many Choshev Rabbanim do that. My personal regish is that we should work within the halachic system to buy an Israeli esrik. So, uh, once you go for Oitzah Beisden, and you should make sure there's a tuta that says that it's Oitzah Beisden. Now, if it is Oitzah Beisden, so it has the following challenge. Uh, one of the prohibitions of Shemitah produce is you now to have business as usual. As we said, Otsar Basin is meant to recoup the, the, uh, business, the um, labor expenses and not to make a profit on it. So if you have an Otsar Basin stand that looks exactly the way it looks any other year, where here the Esrogim that go for 30 shekel and here 40 shekel and here 50 shekel and if you go into the back alley over here, we'll get you a good price for 500 shekel. So if all that is labeled Otsa Basin, I would not advise buying there. Because basically they're just using Otsa Basin as a stamp. And business as usual. So you're not allowed to do that during Shemitah. Is it your prohibition? Is it their prohibition? It's certainly not something that should be done. One shouldn't support establishments that are doing that. I'm not assuming there will be, but uh, when there's a buck to be had, so not everyone necessarily keeps the halacha, even if it's right at the Yom Kippur. So, uh, but there are many reputable places that do sell Otsa Basin. And uh, there are um, Rabbonin, and one could rely on this psaq, that you don't have to have one price for all. You have madregas, and a lot of uh, madregas meaning levels, because part of the labor is sorting. So when you have Avrechim, um, you have uh, mid level Rabbonin who are sorting their srogim by type. Mehudar, very beautiful kasher, Mehudar, very beautiful kasher, etc. So there's more labor going into selecting the better ones. So some Rabbanim justify the fact that the price could reflect that extra labor. 
So what I'm recommending is that Otsu Bay is in places that have two, maximum three levels of pricing. And even better if it's in a closed box. So the sellers are not playing around with changing what they think they want to charge because they can't jack on a price on their own. That, that's, that's certainly not, a, not according to the Allah when you're selling a Shemitah Esrog. And there's going to be a bulk of a srogim like that in the market. They have closed box. They're going to be Otsu based in Kasher, Otsu based in Mehudar, Otsu based in Mehudar Aleph with different prices. And there is a lack of justification for that because of the labor in sorting it. And with the boxes, so you'll open it up you might be happy, you might not be happy. So then you get online in one of the Bateharoa and you get upsak to make sure that it's kosher. The Rabbonim in Ramat Pechemesh have said that you're a little stuck over here because they're the only thing the Rabbonim could tell you if it's kosher or not. They're not going to be able to start playing around how Mahudar it is because that's already getting involved in too much uh, the angle of Schorah, of, of doing business. But uh, there should be honesty here for, for that's a reputable Ashkocha. And uh, that's what I'm doing. Um, we'll come back to that in a moment. I'm buying closed box esrig in Ramat Pechemish. There's a sale going on there. And that's what I'm comfortable with. And if it's not as beautiful of an esrig as it is as other years that I'm able to pick it on my own, so be it. I want to buy an Israeli esrig. I want to support Shemitah farmers. And I'll make sure, um, if I'm confident myself, to comment or if I'll go run to a rov and make sure that it's uh, a kosher esrig. So that's what I'd recommend, but uh, you certainly can go another way too. But the Iker is, you should, if you're going oats or basin route, it should not have five, six, seven different kinds of prices. That's not really legitimate to sell an oats or basin estrogen that way, because you're not allowed to sell a srogum the way you do the whole year. Let me, let me get back to the Hetamachira estrogen. If you have a reputable Ashgacha that is under Hetamachira and you choose to go that route, many don't want to go that route, but if you choose to go that route, and uh, follow the idea that it's not my problem, it's their problem. So from, from their perspective, they hold they're allowed to sell it because if it's under the Hetamachira, it doesn't have any Kedusha. So the money you're giving them is not in violation from your perspective and uh, because they're, they're the ones who are relying on the Hetamachira. So that's something that you have to consider. Obviously, you know, you could speak to your Rebbein privately, what they recommend. Again, I would recommend Oitzu Basin, but uh, it's not out of the question to buy Hetamachira Esrik. Um, I would recommend once you get it to treat it with Kedusha to treat it with sanctity but you don't have to worry about the prohibition of buying and selling necessarily because of the fact that the seller is relying on the Hatim Um now let's go back to the first case you're going into some kind of uh, uh, situation where there's no Ashgah so it's a Shemitah year. It's not Chayiv and Shumas and Maishris. So what's the worst that happened with it? That it's from a Shemitah, from a farm that's not keeping Shemitah. So I, I highly disrecommend doing that. It doesn't even have Hetem Mechira. I wouldn't do that. But let's say be the Evid, that that's what happened. So, uh, so to be aware that there's an additional problem. Because you're now that I do business with Esrogim that are holy with Shemitah. Oh, it's a base and you're paying for the labor. But if someone's making a regular profit... So now it's already your problem. Why? Because they're not allowed to do business. And you're now, and when you give them money for the esrog, so the money becomes holy. Right? The esrog is holy and the money is holy. And now you're giving money to someone who's not keeping the halakha. So you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to give Shemitah money to someone who doesn't keep the halakha because he has to do, he has to buy produce with that money. He's not allowed to buy uh, cigarettes with the money. Okay, so 
because of that, now that we have a little greater framework on that, if it doesn't have Ashgacha, not at the Mechira, not Otsubeis, then it's not regular Hefker, so don't buy it, because there's a problem in buying the Esrit from it. There's a possible solution to the problem, but I still recommend that you should avoid places without Ashgacha. All the other years, besides Shemitah, it goes without question in Ashgacha. Why? Because there's a problem with Trumos and Maestros, etc., and even during the Shemitah year, the truth is, you need Ashgacha for Orla. So even during Shemitah, if it's the first three years of growth, it's still a problem. So don't buy without Ashgacha, let's put it that way. Okay, there are too many problems. But Oitzer uh, Beisden, possibly Hetemachir. Some people might find it shocking that, uh, that I'm advocating, and not advocating, but at least giving a possibility of buying Hetemachir. We're trying to be broad here, to give all the different shitot. I'm not here to condemn... Uh, uh, thousands and thousands of holy Jews who follow the Hetamachira. So I'm framing it for the consumer, who, even if they don't want to follow it. It doesn't mean, oh, you have the words Hetamachira on it, so I'm running away from you. You have to be mature about it. So I stick to Osebezin, but there is a basis to allow buying from Hetamachira. But again, I would treat it with Kedusha once you buy it. And then you don't have to worry about the Yisra Schorah, because that's their problem. The Isser of doing, doing a business, I believe, is on the seller, not on the buyer. The buyer violates Lifni Ivra. They're giving a stumbling block. But they're not giving a stumbling block if they're relying on a valid Allah's opinion. Yes? Oh, I had uh, two questions. First, for the Etrogen, yeah. if he doesn't have a Shkafa and he buy it, and the guy that doesn't keep the Shemitah, why does he have to use the money? Uh, first, why is Kedusha following the money, and then why is it also used by produce? If if it's uh, not being sold, uh, if it's a basin, no, yeah, you're asking the health of Shemitah question. Yeah, that's a uh, Mishnah. That's a sugin sukkah that Baruch Hashem we had this course of uh, learning with the voice that uh, that that's the halacha that the exchange of a, of a of a holy fruit becomes holy. The fruit itself remains holy, and the money gets kedusha. Kedusha means that it has to you have to buy produce that you're gonna use with the kedusha Shemitah. That's the halacha. We learn that from sukkim. Okay. Also, um, what, what should you, what's like the normal price range for Osir And what should you expect from this thing to Osir I can't tell you. Mom's give a guesstimate. If it's a basic kosher model, somewhere between 30 and 50 shekel. And if it's a alone, and if it's a higher model, somewhere between 70 and 80. Mm-hmm. If it's 150 to 100, these are regular year prices. This is not, this is not, but again, I'm not saying it definitively. I, I, I haven't checked the market out there. I wanted to mention another option, which I also highly, highly recommend, and this solves a lot of issues and also could solve uh, issues concerning uh, the buying and selling and also if there's uh, um, things that are going on with the Oza Basin model that may be not exactly uh, so great. And that is this year, more than other years, to buy a set. There's a Laka concept called Havla'ah, where uh, it's a package deal. Havla'a literally means to swallow up. Uh, I focused a lot on the Yesrog. The Lulav does not have uh, sanctity of, uh, of Shemitah. And even though if it doesn't have Ashgacha, you can still have an issue because maybe the palm tree was worked during Shemitah. And as we discussed, that's a debate whether that prohibits that particular product as a result of that. But it's better to buy with Ashgacha. But the Lulav does not have the sanctity of Shemitah nor did the Aravis. The Hadassim is questionable whether they have the sanctity of Shemitah. Halacha Lamasa, uh, since it's only being used for a mitzvah and not for Hadassim to smell, 
actually, to be aware, during Sukkot, you're allowed to smell your recipe, but you're not allowed to smell the Adasim, because they're designated for the mitzvah. So they're Moksa. Moksa, not, not only in the sense that you're not allowed to move it on Shabbos, but Moksa in the sense that their main use is off-limits. So the esrig, its main use is eating. So you're, you're not allowed to eat the esrig during Sukkot, even if you're hungry. Um, and you'll buy another one. Um, but uh, the hadasin, the main use is smell. So you can smell it after Sukkot, before Sukkot, Boreyatsi Psamin, but uh, not during Sukkot. So since their primary use is mitzvah, the psak of many rabbanim in, in uh, the last generation, which is the accepted psak, is that it doesn't have sanctity to it. So therefore, the only thing that has sanctity, if it comes from Eretz Israel, is the esrig. Okay, so now... Uh, if you're buying a package deal, which usually will mean three out of four, because our rubbish are usually offered closer to Yomtev, so they don't uh, uh, wither. So you have items that fetch a pretty penny. A lulav, a good lulav can cost 100 shekel. Good hadassim costs 50 shekel. So if the net price is, this set costs 200 shekel, which is a reasonable price. Lower price, this set 150 shekel. So then already you don't have to be so medactic about the particulars of uh, are they keeping the Yotzeh Beisman right, not keeping the Yotzeh Beisman right. If they're giving you a package deal, that's the, that's the, the package. Yeah, the, the, the uh, Lulav and Esrik and Hadassim altogether is X amount of Shkolim. So that would be, the, to my mind, the, the easier way to do so. You don't have to buy it that way. The Lulav you could buy straight, the Hadassim you could buy straight, and the Esrik you could also buy straight provided you're meticulous about the particular tracks that we mentioned. Again, to review, not to buy without Ashgacha, possibly you had to Mechira, the basis to allow that Oitzah base, then only if it has two to three levels, preferably a closed box. But no uh, no more than that. So you can buy it separately. But if you want to buy a package, even better. So that's what I'm doing. That's in our neighborhood. You have Oitzah Beisden with a package. So they have two angles for uh, safety here. And uh, if you, you have such a situation, that, that makes it a lot easier. It also makes it a lot easier in terms of haggling. And uh, Okay, this is the price. You have an esteric, a lulav, and, uh, and within your, within your, well, of course, within your budget. Okay, so uh, that was... Uh, this year is supposed to last an hour, but we had to take up quite a bit of time in terms of dealing with Shemitah. Okay. Uh, the, let's discuss... Each min by itself, uh, the extent the time allows. Esrig, of course, is going to be a little more time than the others, but uh, the others also have their own um, particular halachas. Okay, there are two kinds of disqualifications concerning the meaning. One is called lekichatama, that uh, more or less that the item in question has to be whole, um, language of tmimut, tamim. And the second disqualification is hadar, that it has to be halachically beautiful. Uh, even though some of these psukim are said concerning one of the minim and not the others, but they're all written together in Parsha Semor. So the idea of there has to be Tama or Tamim and Hadar are relevant to all of them to some extent. So, interestingly, uh, these halachot have several uh, nafkaminis, uh, halachic differences, both in terms of how they're puzzle, when they're puzzle, and how you measure them. So the Ashkenazic psak is that something that is disqualified because it's not Hadar is disqualified the whole seven days. Um, so, for example, an esrog that has a disqualifying uh, black mark on it is not Hadar and therefore is disqualified all seven days according to the Ashkenazic psak. Uh, on the other hand, uh, disqualifications that are pasul because it's not whole 
So that is only disqualified on the first day, or for the first two days, um, for B'nai Chutzlar, it's like keeping two days of Yantif. Interestingly, the Svartik Psak, of course, someone should follow the Rekohen with the specific questions on that, maintain that even the disqualifications of Hadar are only disqualified the first day. Sometimes this can be relevant, just to give an example, your asterisk drops, and the pitum falls off. So that's an interesting question as to when, when the pitum falls off, it becomes not Hadar, and when it becomes disqualified as being not Tam. So that, you need to ask a rabbi about that, and that's going to determine whether it's going to be kosher for the other days. For Svarim, it'll be much easier that uh, the pitum falls off. Presumably it should follow that only the first day is it a problem, or the first two days. Okay. Um, the area of Psul, if, uh, if it is uh, something of uh, having to do with the fact that it's not complete, so it is uh, relevant no matter where the incompletion is. So, for example, an esrog that has a hole in it, a puncture that uh, removes some of the skin, so that could disqualify, even if it's on the bottom. That's one of the things that you need a little expertise to see. I once looked at an esrog, it looked pretty nice. I took it to a rab, I said... He said, it's possible. I said, what do you mean it's possible? Yeah, just a little bravado. I said, I learned the halachis. What do you mean it's possible? It looks pretty good. He said, what do you mean? There's a hole right here. It's a hole to China. So I looked a little more. I still had my doubts that it was really called a hole, but I understood what he was talking about. I didn't have the expertise to even notice that. It was basically like there was a scab there, and the scab got removed, and then it left a hole in its wake. So that's something to be sensitive about, and that is... Uh, that is pasul, the whole area. However, hadar generally is only the upper portion. For the lulav, it's going to be the tip. And for the esrig, as we'll see later, it's going to be the upper third. Um, usually we took uh, props with uh, a little bit of last minute. I came the last minute. Usually we would harvest some of the produce here in order to demonstrate some things. I don't know. A little pressed for time here. So I don't know. I think we'll be able to do it this year. Okay. To get a slideshow. Okay. Okay, so, uh, and uh, furthermore, this is really for a Rabbanim to know. You're not going to do this necessarily on your own. Uh, Tom is measured by looking very carefully to make sure there's no hole or, or something missing. But Hadar is measured like that. You hold it at arm's length. Because beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, not in the eyes of the uh, right next. So that's why you'll see Rabbanim, let's say, you'll, you'll, oh, what about that dot? He says, not a problem. What do you mean? Isn't that a black dot? I learned the kids to Shulchan Aruch. It says a black dot's a problem. No, it says, I don't see it. What do you mean you don't see it? I don't see it here. Okay, many Rabbanim will. You'll see a lot of them will use magnifying glasses and so on and so forth, and they know what they're doing. Sometimes they have a doubt that they're using the magnifying glass to, uh, to, uh, to remove the doubt. But uh, you'll find a lot of mumchim will hold it like this and say, I don't see anything. It doesn't matter whether it's there or not. So that, that's in terms of Hadar. But when they're looking for a hole that goes to China, so then they're going to look like that. Okay. Now let's discuss, so again, to briefly review, it has to be halakhti beautiful, it's called Hadar, and it has to be whole. So, the Esrig. Another reason you need Ashgacha, and also not to buy, buy from uh, Chaim Yankel, Sticky Fingers, Goldberg, is because uh, uh, another fraud on the marketplace, besides navigating Shemitah and all the other years about Orla and... Uh, as well as during Shemitah, Orla, and then Truma Maestras for the other year, it, it can't be grafted. And since the esrig is a very sickly kind of fruit, and it uh, tends to get diseases a lot, so there's uh, and people pay good money for esrogim, so there's a big Yetzirah to graft esrogim with lemons. 
And that makes it more hardy, because lemon is a more hardy... Uh, in science, uh, estric is just a subspecies of lemon. But in halacha, it's only the subspecies of the citron that's kosher. So if someone deliberately hybridizes a lemon with an estric, so then it's not it's not kosher anymore. Why it's not kosher is a whole lumdus, but uh, maybe because it's only a half an estric. So it's it's not tam. It's missing a half an estric. And some say, no, you don't need that. It's not an estric. It's, it, it, it's, it's a lestric. Or it's a, 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 an esmin. Uh, so, but okay, right? Good. Apply to the you know the nomenclature aboard the taxonomy. The, we'll have to label it, but it's not good. It's not kosher. So that's another reason you need us go. Um, it's interesting that okay, it's interesting. Those who want to hear the interest, you can come to me afterwards. Now we have to zip, 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 zip along. Uh, natural cross pollination is not a problem. So if the bees happen to cross-pollinate the sorghum and the lemons, it's, it's not the grower's uh, uh, problem. So that's an interesting... Allah doesn't always go by the genetics of science. It goes by the visual. So, um, okay. Uh, there are different ways that uh, Hashgachos arrange to make sure that the estrogen is not hybridized. Let's say someone calls up Hashgachos and says, okay, we want you to give Hashgachos. So, but they don't know the past history. So there are different methods that are used. It's not your issue. You buy with Ashgach. There are two ways to do it. In other years we've gone through it, but we don't have time now. Um, if you buy an estrogen that's very, very smooth, and uh, you should think twice before buying it. Because, uh, it's, but it's not necessarily a problem, because uh, uh, lemons are very smooth, the sorghum tend to be bumpy. But it is not the case that just because it's not very bumpy that it's not an estrogen. Just like there are subspecies of the citrus, this subspecies of a citron. Some are more bumpy, some are less bumpy, and some got less bumpy because they were hybridized naturally through cross pollination without actually being grafted. So, but uh, you should try to look for a significant amount of bumps. But uh, it should have ashgacha. That's the main thing. Okay. All right. Um, This is the prettiest estrogen we've used in the past years that we've given this year. I said, okay, if I use it. So, more or less, we get the point. Because, you know, even though it's a little silly, but it'll, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll do the job. Here's the body of the estrogen. Okay? And as it slants upward, so that's called the, um, the, um, Literally the nose. Okay? There's a is exactly how I measure the chotem, but basically, once it starts slanting upward, that's called the chotem. Okay? Now, the top is, of course, the pitten. Okay, we'll come back to that a little later. Uh, a, a complete pitten is a stick that actually is called a pitten. And then on top of it, if it's very complete, it has like a, a, a woody kind of flower, which is called the shoshanta, or the shoshana. It's not an actual flower, it's a stick. But it's a stick with a, with a woody thing on top. As we're going to get to later, many of them don't have that on it, and that doesn't necessarily disqualify. Okay, so we have the Gufa Esrig, we have the Chotem when it slants up, and we have, possibly, it might not be there, the Pitten, and possibly the Shoshanta. On the bottom, happens to be, this is a Puzzle Esrig, uh, there's a stick coming out. A li- it doesn't have to be massive, but it has to cover the whole area there, and that is called the Okets. Literally, uh, a stick or a stinger. Right now, that's an important part of the esrog. As I mentioned, if you happen to be plucking your own esrog, you wouldn't pluck it the way you do the whole year. Just pull it off, 
you have to cut part of that. You don't have to have two inches. Your eyes don't have a little bit, otherwise they'll get stuck and break off. That, as we shall see, has to be there as well. Okay, any questions on that? So now we're going to discuss the psulim and the beautiful asterisk over here. So you need the orchids. You need the orchids. At least for the first day, as we're going to see. Okay. Uh, okay, so uh, the first rule is that the asterisk can, uh, has to be whole. So you have to look carefully uh, through, again, you can take Torah, of course, more advisable to make sure that's everywhere. Over here, over here, there should be no holes. Okay, there's a complex uh, set of halachis about how much of a hole does it have to be to disqualify. Bottom line, if there's a little bit of the yellow skin taken away, so we already get in the suffix zone. So that's something to be careful about and, and only to be confident on your own if you have some training on this or to take it to a roof. So that's anywhere. Just because you have a scratch, you know, some of you might have long nails and you happen to scratch the ester again. And not only that, a little juice comes out. That doesn't make a chassid. That's to be an actual part of the ester uh, got, got scratched away. Okay. Uh, the oketz breaks off. It's also chaser. Crack. But happily, according to the main psak, that's not called lack of hadar. That's called not pam. And therefore, it's only pasul the first day or the first two days. It's important to know. Sometimes when you're taking it out of your bag, etc., it might crack off. So be aware. It's kosher as long as you can get past the first two days. If you didn't, so you make a brach on someone else's esrig, and then you hold yours during halal, and then you wait with bated breath till after yomtiv, so uh, so then you can go back to making a brach on your own. I'm not saying the okis falls off every day, gentlemen, right? You know, with, with good care, it doesn't fall off. But you should be aware it does happen and to be aware that it is kosher past the first two days or the first day for those keeping one day. Okay. The pitam, as we mentioned briefly, is uh, very complicated. As we said, it has multiple parts. It has a stick going up and has a shoshanta. And if that falls off, after you've got it with one, so then uh, ask a rav. Sometimes it'll be kosher even the first day. Sometimes it'll only be kosher the other days. Sometimes it could be puzzled the whole chag. Sometimes it might depend whether you follow Ashkenazic or Sephardic halacha. So to be aware of that, there's an old uh, kid song that the pitten fell off, my esrik is puzzled. Oh no, what should I do? Okay, so it's not always the case. Sometimes it is kosher. Um, okay, uh, when you're buying an esrik, now let's get back to the pitenless esrogen. So the Rosh, Rabbeinu Osher, one of the great Gedoli Ashkenaz, you have it in the back of all the Gemaras, so he wrote a response on this, where he noted that uh, already in his day, many of the Esrogim were coming to market without a pitum, a headless Esrog. So uh, he ruled that it's not a problem, because they don't grow with a pitum. The reason the pitum falling off is because it's, it's unusual, it's supposed to be there, but if it never grew with it, so then it's not a problem. So later agronomists uh, point out that... Uh, whether the Rosh was aware of this reality and he was just speaking in halachic perception terms, or whether he was not aware of the reality, but it's the same halacha, in reality, all Esrogim have pitams, except some of them fall off like two weeks after they started growing. Some of them fall off a few months after they started growing. And the main difference is really whether it fell off as part of its natural growth process on the tree, or whether it fell off abnormally if there was harvested in the tree, or some might say in the final stages of it being on the tree also, it fell off then, maybe it also disqualifies. 
So generally, as a rule of thumb, you could tell that it fell off on the tree, just as uh, Lahavdil, if you get a bubu, so the Rabbana Shlalem uh, allowed you to scab over. So, uh, so the same thing with the Esrogim. When you have a skin uh, abrasion, so it goes into emergency mode and uh, it, it makes a scab. The scab could only uh, the scab machinery of the esrig can only operate if it's on the tree. So if you see an esrig that's missing the pitum and it looks very whitish, either with the stick or without the stick, but on top it looks white or brown, but brown, not scabby, tan, very light brown that has like a scaly um, look to it, but medium kind of brown that when you cut an apple and you leave it on the counter for an hour, it starts getting brown. So that you run away from because the first day you need your pitum. Again, the evidence, sometimes it could be kosher the first day, but you certainly don't want to buy an esrig without, an es- without a pitum. That, that's possible. But if you see a scab, then it's acceptable. Within seeing a scab, so they're post-game debate as to what's a better kind of scab. There are those who prefer the scab that's inside. What do I mean by that? You have... Um, is there water in here? I'm not sure. Okay, I don't think so. Okay. So, it doesn't work because the, the pitten is still here even if they took off the shashanta. Okay, so... Um, um, imagine here's the pitten and here's the esrig, right? So, there are many esrogim sold without a pitten where you see none of this. This is all gone. It's flush with the esrig, and not only that, there's a little bit of an indentation, and in that indentation, you're going to see a scab. So some folks can say, that's the best kind of pitomless esrig to buy, because that's an indicator that it fell off. When do you think, boys? Mamish at the beginning, all the way at the beginning. And some say, that, that's the best. If it fell off in the middle, I'm not so sure that the rush would have allowed that. So if you have a pitom, and they'll be, but pitom again, pitom the stick, Shoshanta, the flower on top of the stick. If you have a pitten but no Shoshanta and there's a scab on top of that stick, there'll be many, many estrogen like that. So some of them say, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want to start up with those. And others say, no, Dafka, buy those. Because those at least have maybe a bedieved kind of pitten because there's some kind of stick going out. So there's debate between different postkin. Bottom line that you could rely on, on, on both sakin and they're both kosher. If I were a betting man, I probably would go for the one that was dug in a bit. But uh, but if you're going for the one that's dug in, make sure it doesn't have a hole. Sometimes the scab has a hole right in the middle. Now we're back to China. <laughs> okay, so the scab should be a complete scab. Those not familiar so much with the details of halacha, so I always like to use a muscle. A DNA takes 20 amino acids, excuse me, 20 amino acids in order to make a protein. So what if you're missing one? So you don't have a protein. Oh, come on. I have 19. Let's make a, you know, a little protein. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Hashem created the rules of nature. You're missing one amino acid. There's no protein. So the same with halacha. There this Rabbi Soloveshi pointed out the great romance. We're here to do tshuva me'ava, as we're going to see at the end of this year, to take the meaning and to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hold the Toda Hashem, Hold Hashem Kitov, and to pray for the future. And as we'll see, it's a remez of Hashem's name, and of Klal Yisrael, and of our body, of the heart, and the spine. There's a lot of elegance and unbelievable ashkafa to, uh, to the meaning. But there's also the DNA. Very nice, you know, uh, you have the great romance. But if you don't have the details of the lover, you don't, you don't get there. 
So again, just a little hashkafic aside, but uh, important to realize these halachas are uh, even more fundamental than the rules of nature, because after all, Hashem created the rules of nature by looking into the Torah and creating nature. Okay. So again, make sure you look for the scab if you're going without the pitten. I always prefer buying a pitten. A stam, a certain regesh, uh, someone asked me privately, is it better to buy with a pitten? The answer is no, not necessarily. But it is a degree of hidur because it has all the parts to it. Okay, so I try to buy a pitten with an, uh, that should be very thick. If you're buying one with a pitten, you don't buy a little flimsy one. It's going to fall off. Uh, you know, you have to hold it. Oh, yeah. you buy a nice thick pitten that's, you know, very solid. And don't give it to your kid. Okay, if uh, you kid, you buy without a pitten. Um, if you do, you hold it very carefully. Okay. Chasidim uh, would prefer buying with a pitten. Davka. In a lot of sukkahs, they have gedolim pictures of people with the minim. So you see, some gedolim bought with a pitten, some bought without. I wasn't surprised who bought with, who bought without. Well, Yashi was machme for everything, so he had davka with a pitten, a nice yellow esrik, etc. Others uh, had a green esrik without a pitten. Okay. But uh, again, both of them lahalacha kosher. Okay. Uh, one of the most complex areas of esrog halacha is uh, disc, disc, discoloration. Uh, the Gemara discusses chazazis, which is an abnormal growth, and shinoi uh, mara, discoloration. So the following discolorations are uh, disqualifying. Uh, black, dark brown, I'm just quoting from Svarim here, from the, the books, dark red, and uh, possibly white. Uh, the poskim have a fundamental debate whether the discoloration has to be caused due to rot or even if it's from unknown causes. There are many, many esrogim out there in the market that have black dots on the upper uh, portion, which is called, again, the yachotem, where, the, as we'll see in a moment, the black dots are more of a problem. And there are many rabbanim who will disqualify that because they follow the more stringent view that even if it's not caused by a rat, some people think that it might be the excretions of a fly it might be dirt that's embedded into the skin of the esrig and developing. Basically, you look at the books, no one knows where the black dots come from. But they're, 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 they're all over the place. My Rebbe, Rabbi Shechter, and this sounds like that from Shleim Zalman Oyebach, went with a different approach. It has to be from rat. If it's not from rat, then black dots are not a problem. So those are, that needs a psak from uh, the rub that you go to. Most of the rabbanim out there follow the more stringent view. Um, and again, it would be measured from a little bit afar because it's a problem of hidur and not of uh, tam. Um, where do those uh, disqualifying colors have to be in order to be a problem? So it's a little bit complicated, but basically it goes like this. The chotem, even uh, any, any small amount in any area of the chotem, from where it's... Uh, leans up. That's why many people will be extra careful to make sure that the upper third is good. Uh, the bottom at least has to be uh, looked at a little bit because if you have disqualifying dots in an area of two or three places that covers the majority of the surface, if you would connect the dot surrounding it, you would have a majority of the circumference that also disqualifies. So... Um, just because uh, the, the uh, upper upper portion of the chotem is clean doesn't necessarily mean that it's automatically going to be kosher, but they're using more they're using more problems there than down below because unless you have a very low quality esrog, they're usually not going to be too many black dots down below. It's uh, very common. 
to have what's called um, in uh, Yiddish they call it a bletmo, and in English they call it a, a, a leaf mark, and in Hebrew I forgot something to do with an aleph, also something to do with a leaf. Why they call it that has to do with probably how they came about. The bottom line is it looks like a pale scab. Okay, that, that's what a leaf mark is. I'm sure you've seen in citrus fruits, very often on lemons, sometimes on oranges, they have scabs. Once again, how do the scabs occur? It gets a scratch while it's growing, and then the, uh, the, the healing, the process of the fruit, the scabs are over. So the consensus approach is that those scabs are not disqualifying marks. Nonetheless, they do detract to some extent, at least from the subjective beauty of the esrig, and therefore, to the extent that there are less of those scabs, especially in the upper portion of the what's called the chotem, so that's a more beautiful esrik, and that's sometimes the difference between what Rabbanim will label as a kosher, but not mehudar esrik, and a mehudar esrik, depending on how big they are, depending on how much surface they quote. So the less of that, the better. But they're considered halachli kosher. If you have a scab that is uh, so uh, pronounced that you could feel it, it's not just a little beneath the surface. It's, you know, like your scab on your skin. So that's more problematic, <coughs> more debated whether that's kosher or not. But there are also there are many who do allow that. So to be aware of that. Sometimes on the scab, you also have a black dot. Okay. So that is possible, not, might, maybe, not because of the scab, but because of the black dot. Okay. Green as Rogan. The Mishnabur recommends that you should buy an esrig that has a little bit of yellow in it because green, the Gemara says, is puzzle, but most poets can maintain that it's only puzzle, not because it uh, is a disqualification in color, because it's an indicator of the fact that the asterisk is not ripe. So therefore, if you have a little bit of yellow, so that means it is ripe. Among the Sephardic world and other Rabbanim in the Ashkenazic world, they're not concerned about this Mishnah Brewer, as long as you have a big asterisk, so you know that it's ripe, and if I left it in on the counter for a long enough time, it'll get yellow. But uh, default, more private practice is, you, is to buy, a, if you're buying a greenish esrig, you should have a little bit of yellow in it, as the Mishnah says, to make sure that it's not a problem of not being right. If you're buying a very small esrig, then that's all the more important. My rabbi has a stringency from one of the G'day called the Mishkanis Yaakov, and others as well, that the green is a problem just like black. So he insists on a, on a totally yellow esrig, or at least where the green is is only in the areas where it wouldn't disqualify had it been black. If you have an esrig that's a very light green, that's in between dark green and yellow, so that would be good according to everybody. But the bottom line is, the standard ruling is not like my Rebbe, from the Mishkanis Yaakov, uh, and that is that a green esrig is totally kosher, and that you'll also see in the Gedolim pictures, especially among the Sephardic Rabbanin, they totally use the green asterisk as based on passage in the Zohar without any problem. But my recommendation by default for the Ashkenazim in the crowd is to, if you're buying a green asterisk, is to have a little bit of yellow that already turned uh, to indicate a lot of Mishnah Brewer that it's uh, sufficiently right. There's a trick to make a green asterisk yellow by putting it into apples for um, 24 hours. If you really want to do that, make sure you know what you're doing, otherwise you're going to lose the okets. If you keep it in the bag with apples for more than uh, 24 hours or for two, three days, the, 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 uh, the tip, the sticky tip is going to fall off. Happened to me. No one told me not to do that. So I had a beautiful last rig. When I was in Camby then it became possible. Okay. But uh, usually 24, if you want your last rig to yellowify, you could put apples in there.
uh, in the uh, etheric market, so they extracted the chemical in the apple that does the trick to make it yellow, and they spray the esrogen in the warehouses in order to get them to be more yellow. Okay, technology and aloha. Um, one second. Okay, we discussed already Ashgoches. The shear of an esrogen has to be the size of an egg. I wouldn't recommend buying an esrig that's the size of an egg because it might shrink and it has to be the size of an egg, the whole sukkah. So I once got a little teeny-weeny esrig, but it was bigger than the size of an egg. But it was the smallest esrig I ever got. But uh, it should be somewhat bigger than the size of an egg. Okay, let's move on to the lulav. Okay, my apologies. Again, the shear was put together a little bit the last minute. Um, I think we could go over this. Gentle here, seating chart. Uh, the uh, alulav leaves um, basically uh, look like this. Again, you've all seen alulav before, so you're not strangers to this. I hope this should suffice. Okay, this is called a spine. Okay, and um, basically, what happens is the following. Uh, this is not working. So, okay, I'm the alulav, gentlemen. Okay, and I'm the, the spine of the lulav, okay? So, from the bottom, I'm, I'm, I'm a dark green middle, right, that goes up, right, till here. Okay, you'll see why I'm stopping over here. Okay, I, I still go up, but the spine stops right here. Okay, now, again, you'll put together the imagery that you have in your minds with what I'm saying. Now, from the bottom... Of the uh, of the lulav, you have leaves that come out in pairs, one on the right side and one on the left side. Okay, leaves, leaves, and these leaves are long. They're, they're, you know, they're not regular. They go they they go high up. And more leaves, more leaves, more leaves, more leaves. Now, why did I stop the spine, which is called the shidra over here? Because at this point, the leaves. Stop coming out from the sides. Even though the lulav still goes higher because it's the leaves that are anchored below that are still going higher. Right? So the shidra stops when the leaves stop coming out. Okay? The shidra itself then turns into a leaf and goes to the to the top. That's what we're going to see in a moment. That's called the tiomes, the tiomes aemtsait. The middle twin, and to the right and the left of it are leaves that came from the bottom. Okay, good. If you take any blee uh, nether after we're done this year, with the wrap up soon, uh, I'll, I'll try to do the snipping. I'll pass it around. You'll see it. But, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. But if you rip off a leaf from the lulav, who knows what you could do with it? Play around with it. How is it unique? So now I, I, I uh, from one end, I, I could open it up and tear it into two. And that's why it's called a tiomet, or a twin. Every one of the lulav leaves, unless it grew abnormally, is a double. Okay, so again, it comes out on this side, comes out on that side. But each one of those is comprised of two leaves. And the leaf that comes, remember I said the shidra stops here. 
the leaf that comes over here also is going to have two leaves. Okay? So with that in mind, now we get to work. So first of all, most of the love on the, a lot of the love in the market are going to come prepackaged. So you don't have to worry what I'm about to say. Basically, there are two kinds of species of lulav. More than one kind, but uh, there, there, there are species that produce dates, or at least are the male variety of a date-producing uh, palm tree. And then there are uh, lulavim that are called canary or canary lulavim that come from the Canary Islands that don't produce dates. So there's a machlokas aposhkin whether the canary kind is kosher. Uh, that's uh, also a good idea why to only buy with ashkacha, but usually the canaries are going to be darker green and the other ones are going to be lighter green, but that's not a foolproof uh, siman, so better to buy with uh, someone you trust. In a word, the canary ones usually are much floppier. The uh, the, the ones that produce dates, if you hold them up, they're, they're not going to flop down. Okay, so here are the disqualifications. Disqualification number one is if the double leaf on top is split. It's called nechlak. Okay, that's a biggie. That's the, that's the difference between a hundred shekel lulav and a, you know a twenty shekel lulav. How split can it be and still be kosher? There are different viewpoints. The um, the machaber says it has to be that most of the leaves of the lulav have to be split. So according to that view, it is very rare that you can have a lulav that's possible. According to that, the Ashkenazic view is that the middle leaf. What's the middle leaf again? The shidra stops here. Leaves stop coming out of the side at that point. The leaf that flows up from that, sometimes it's two leaves, but usually one. So if that's split more than a majority of the way down, way down where? From the tippy top until the shidra. If it's split the majority, so according to some, it has to be split totally, it's pasul. Nonetheless, there was one of the Rishayim who suggested that since it easily could split more and more and more, that even if a little bit is split, it's also Pasul, because it might become Pasul later on in the Chag. That's considered a Chumrah, stringency, it's not the main Halacha, but the Jewish people are a holy bunch, and they like doing Yidurim. So it became a very in thing to get a Lulav that is totally, totally whole. Now with the packages the selection process is no fun anymore because they already did it for you and they do a pretty good job. And I go back to what I said earlier. I, Baruch Hashem, been, been in the world for a while. I've been buying Minim for quite some time. I once helped out a friend pretending I knew something to try to sort out the Lulavim for him. I never found so many Lulavim that have all the way up to the top. It's totally whole. Unbelievable. I think they, they, they partnered with some kind of uh, agricultural institute. It's called Volcani in Israel, and uh, they somehow got the, I don't know, they, they changed the DNA, I don't know, they got to love him, especially a sub-brand that's called Dairy, not the politician. It's called Dairy to love him. Unbelievable. Hundreds and hundreds of love him that are, that are all the way up to the top. Tough. If you, if you, if you were the Rambam or the Marshal or the, the, the Bach, you, you, your eyes would pop out. What? That they have a, a lulav all the way up to the top and hundreds and hundreds of them. Unbelievable. But again, you'll have the standard kind also, you know, the ones that are without packaging. You'll see ones that are split, so be aware. If you're getting a discount lulu, just make sure it's not a majority split. We'll see later something else that has to be uh, 
taken care of. But if you're buying with packaging, again, you should go to a Rav, because sometimes, you know, it's only as good as how rough they were with the packaging. If they, they threw the packages, obviously it could break. You should be careful when you're shaking your lulav, especially if you're doing it in the sukkah. And hey, you have a high sukkah, so it's not such a problem. Maybe the sukkah here. Don't hit the schach. Don't hit the schach. Don't hit the wall. You'll take a lulav that wasn't split and make it split by doing that. You had a question? Someone had a question? Yeah, we're going to come to that. Now, thank you for mentioning that. I didn't get that. Okay, so to be aware, fully complete is gewaldic. The din is it can't be a majority split. Okay, and I'm just pointing out that the dairy will love him and others as well. They have from uh, what's called uh, what tirat zvi. Unbelievable. And they, they all keep shmita. Okay, they, these uh, the, the, a lot of the little places they keep shmita. So okay, now now there's a there's a big uh, this is the conundrum here. This is the the bane of the loving, and this is called hymnic. Should be aware. Is this a hymnic? What language are you talking? So hymnic basically means like the English letter Y, and this is something that could disqualify an ordinarily kosher luluf because this is an additional disqualification. Granted that split has to be a majority in order to be disqualified. But if the minority that split is a pronounced split, so that you can clearly see the two halves of the leaves and you can see a space in between, and it looks like a Y, so that's called hymnic. What exactly is a hymnic? So some suggest a hymnic is uh, similar to a chazan's uh, t- tuning fork. There's a famous uh, Rashi on the Gemara and Sukkah where he draws a line like hymnic. So this you'll get wildly different views in postkim as to what's called hymnic. There are those that are going to say that only if the two leaves are going in different directions, but if they're totally parallel to each other, even though you can clearly see a space in between, that's not called a hymnic. And others would say that, 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 that no, that's also a hymnic. As long as, as long as it's not, as long as you can see some space, that's already called a hymnic. So that's something you'll leave the Rabbanim to Paskin on. But I'm just pointing out there are different shitot and the different uh, different grounds for uh, leniency and stringency on this. But to be aware that um, that's another good reason to have it totally all the way up to the top. So it's certainly not going to be him. Happily, both of these disqualifications are only possible for the first day or the first two days. So what I said before, watch out, you shouldn't hit your lulav on the wall or the sukkah because you might split it. Um... But if that happened after you're done or toward the end of the Hallel on the second day, so it'll be good for the next day. Just be aware of that. I was happily surprised to see that. Another disqualification of a luluf, which is actually possible for all seven days according to Ashkenazim, is if the top leaf is cut. Even if it's cut a little bit. So that's where the poise can take out their magnifying glasses. Not that you need a magnifying glass, but the magnifying glass will help with certainty to make sure that it's not cut at all. Sometimes the love and end, but a little bit of brown coming out of it and sticking out. If it's uh, not really part of the lulav itself, it's just part of the extras, so that being cut is not a problem. But sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. So uh, once you, the, the greener it is up top, the better, because then you'll be able to tell that it wasn't uh, cut. You, you, you're not such a big problem of a cut, it's called nikdam. But it can uh, it can be a problem. That's possible for all seven days, so to be aware of that. That's why sometimes the bargain will love him. That's why they, 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 they'll sell them for cheaper. They're very hard on top and very brittle on top. So I would highly not recommend getting that. There are tons of love them without that. Because even if they're kosher now, 
But if you bang those on the wall by mistake, it's, it's very uh, likely to, to, to crack. Okay. There's uh, something that in the realm of uh, lulavri, they call the kaida. Uh, forgive me, I forgot the gentleman's name, but uh, Shlomo. So Shlomo mentioned that a lot of times you have a brownish uh, kind of material that uh, surrounds the top leaves. So some Poiskim, especially in the Sephardic world, prefer that. Because that'll mean it's not tampered with. And the way the Rabbanishal made it to be, with the full uh, leaves attached and without himnik, so this way we have no problem. And others, Davka, don't prefer that. In my own experience, I bought Koril Olovim a year or two. Once the Korah fell off, the Korah is that brown, scabby thing stuff there on the Lulav. Uh, once it fell off, and the Lulav was beautiful. And once it fell off, and there wasn't even a double leaf underneath, it was a single leaf. The Lulav was puzzle. So, it's a little bit of a Russian roulette, the Hemnik stuff. Uh, again, Lahalocha, those who allow it say the Torah wasn't given to angels. I have something that looks kosher. If it turns out it wasn't good, so uh, uh, on honest, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, violate Allah, I didn't make a bracha levatala. So you'll have different answers on that. So knowing in advance that there are those who are machmir and those who are mekel, so the lulav merchants will remove the koira on half of the lulavim and will leave them on on the other half, and they'll sell it either as yes koira, not koira. Okay, again, koira the brown stuff. A lot of times you'll buy a koira lulav is in a package, and you'll see the koira already fell off. So it, that doesn't make it possible, but but to be aware, if you want to insist on having that brown, you just got to look through the through the package. Okay, have to wrap up. A lulav can't be dry. The main halacha is that the whole middle leaf, sorry, the majority of the middle leaf has to still be green. Yellow is also good. That's not called dry, but white or whitish is a problem. So if the majority of the middle leaf is uh, is um, dry, then it's a problem. There are those who are machmir that even if a little bit of the middle leaf is dry, it's also a problem. So that's another grounds for stringency. And uh, ideally, one should try to get as green a little as possible. But the main halacha is that even if you have a white spot or two in the middle leaf, it is not a disqualification. Okay. Uh, some people like to buy a tiny little lulav so they can put it in their backpack so they can do some camping on Cholamoyed. I'm uh, only quoting some experience from students. Baruch Hashem, you're much more adventurous than I am. Um, so you got to be a little bit careful if you're buying a little bit, a lot, lot careful. Uh, if you're buying a small lulav, you have to worry about the minimum shear. The minimum shear of a lulav is dalit tfochim. So very, very quickly, uh, you, many of you have probably heard this before, a tefach, a, a hand breadth. Again, whose hand breadth? And how do you measure it? And have we gotten smaller or taller? So bottom line is between 8 and 10 centimeters, or in, uh, in uh, 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 U.S. measurements, 3 to 4 inches. A little of has to be 4 of those. So just work out the math, right? So it's going to be between 32 and 40 centimeters, or between 12 and 16 inches. A piece of paper in Israel is 11 and a half inches. So this is approximately a little bit less than the Mahmir Shear of 4 inches. In America, it's actually uh, 11 inches, not 11 and a half. This is A4 paper. In America, it's 8 and a half by 11, and this is, I think, 8 by, by 11 and a half. All right. But either way, this is approximately, even on the Mahmer side, the size of the Shidra. You're not going to have a lulav in the market that's less than four tzvachim. I'm a little midget, a little, uh, you know, whatever, bonsai, what do they call it? You know, the Chinese mini trees. There's no lulav in the market that's less than four tzvachim. 
But there will be the love in the market. Again, most of them not. That the Shidra is less than four Tzvachim. Because sometimes the, the Shidra is a midget. Sometimes the Shidra goes up to here. What do I mean by that, gentlemen? Let's give a test. How do you tell where the Shidra ends? You look where the leaves come out. Leaves come out, leaves come out. If they stop coming out, the Shidra already stopped. But then the leaves keep going up. The fourth Tzvachim is from the top of the Shidra till the bottom of the Lulav where there still leaves. It might be a little bit above the bottom. You're with me? Because sometimes the, the bottom is bare of leaves. Okay? That's what you have to look out for. Not to make anyone neurotic, you get a, you get a decent-sized little if you're going to have four tzvachim. But if you're dafka looking for a small one, and there are ones there, then you got to be very careful to, to make sure the shidra is at least four tzvachim. I don't recommend it. Again, backpacking aside, maybe you'll get a little hole in the backpack, you'll be able to have your, you know, like a radio, you know, the little will stick out of the backpack, which is probably safer anyway, because... Probably will get broken if you keep it in totally in the backpack. Okay. Good. Hadassim. Hadassim are no fun anymore because they're all packaged. Okay, but you should be aware of uh, of what the packages mean. That's what I wanted to give over to. Okay? The Hadassim, of course, are myrtle leaves. We have them in the in the yard. And uh, Gemara quotes to something called the Hadass Shoita, uh, an idiotic, uh, deranged Hadass. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's a wonderful yeshiva, a wonderful Talmidim. But all the Adasim in the yard are basically deranged Adasim. Uh, I think I found maybe one that was uh, kosher. What do I mean by that? So I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, already heard of the concept called Mishulash. Mishulash means that you have three leaves of, uh, uh, that come out of one spot. Okay, that's called Mishulash. Uh, a myrtle that doesn't have that quality is called by the Gemara Hadas Shota. Some of the Echrayim say it doesn't mean not deranged Adasim. A shot means a stick. It means Adas. It's not Adas. It's a stick. Well, that sounds like a nice shot. Why are we calling it an, an idiotic Adas? Well, what, it didn't do anything to you? <laughs> Call it Adas Pasul. Okay, so I like that shot. That it means a stick Adas. But either way, we now have to use a stick Adas. We now have to use deranged Adas. We need, we need Mishulash. That's part of its beauty. And again, many Rimazim on this, Midrashically, what the three rep- represents. But how much of it has to be Mishulash? So that's where you'll have the different quality of us. So again, Baruch Hashem, you know, in the, the wild, uh, the wild uh, agriculture, regular agriculture, okay, every other Adas was kosher, every other Adas was bustle. So now they, you know, they, they market and, and they, they uh, maybe genetically modify, I don't know. They have tons and tons of a very beautiful Adasim. So here's the deal, gentlemen. What is the shear of a Hadas? Not four Tzvachim, but three Tzvachim. Okay, so you do the math. It's between uh, 24 and uh, 30 centimeters or between 9 and 12 inches. Okay? Gentlemen, I made a mistake. This is a good measurement for the Machmer size of Adas. This is not a good measurement for the size of a Luluf. The Machmer shear of a Luluf would be what? 4 inches times 4, which is 16. More like this. Or in centimeters... Uh, 40 centimeters, again, same size, so my, my mistake. This is a good measurement, more or less, for, for a hadas, on a rubber, on the machmer side. Gimel tfachim, according to the shir, the chazanish. But not for a luluf. A luluf has to be 16 inches or 40 centimeters. So strike the record. I think the tapes are still going, so correct the past. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Lechachila, um, it says in Shulchan Arach, we should try to have Kulo Mishulash. 
What does Kulo mean? It means from the top, measuring down three Tvachim. All of them should be three. As you get lower and lower, it tends to get less and less likely to be Mishulash. Right? Even a very beautiful Adas. You're not going to have Adas that's, you know, two feet long that's Mishulash all the way down. I don't think they make that. Right? The Rabbanashim did, did, didn't make that yet. But you'll have many, many Adasim that 12 inches down will still be Mishulash. Yes? Now, what's the lower shear of three Tvachim, gentlemen? Nine inches. Yeah, 24 centimeters versus 30. Okay? Lechachila all. Bidiyevet. A majority. Majority what? Majority of 12 inches, a majority of 9 inches. So you have four types of adasim on the market. Okay? One adas is kulo chazonish. That's the key term. What's kulo chazonish? Chazonish is the bigger tefach. And it's all mishulash, meaning the three tefachim. Then you have rubo chazonish. You with me, gentlemen? The, the, the majority of the bigger shear of 12 inches. But kulo graach noe. Sounds like a code. Who's graach noe? Great governor of Ram Chaim Nogs, Lubavitch Aposek, it's Boch Hashem's forum we have on the shelf, almost takes up a whole shelf. He was the famous one who had the lesser shear of the Tvachim, which also was uh, ruled by Ravad Yosef as well that way. So, the combo. Rov Chazanish, Kulo Grachnoi. And the bare bones Adas is going to be, you figured out, right? Rubo Grachnoi. Less than that, it's possible. There are packaging mistakes. So, it's always a good idea to open up the package on your own, check with a ruler. You can see where the threes are coming out or have a rough check it if you're not sure, but there can be mistakes. I, I've gotten ones that are advertised as Kulo Chazanish that were nowhere near Kulo Chazanish. So again, I'd like to think it's not fraud, so we'll call it a mistake. Okay? The Hadassim that are the costliest are the ones that are packaged where you could clearly see each hadas through the window. The cheaper ones come all in a plastic, so it's hard to really discern between them. And the, the fancy ones come in a, like a packaging where you can clearly see through the window what each hadas looks like before you buy it. Okay? So, packaging has its uh, premium. Uh, gentlemen, one should not be spending 100 shekel on hadasim. You can get good adasim maximum for 50, and if you wait to Erev Yomtif, 40, 30, and even not to Erev Yomtif, if you go to a place where there's good competition, you can get very, very nice adasim for between 30, 40, maximum 50 shekel. The set as a whole, unless you're interested in spending 500 shekel, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, that some people invest a lot of money in one mitzvah, it's a, a big you know, mitzvah that, that people want to invest in Hidor, but a, like a basic set, you should be expecting to spend between, you know, a nice set between 150 and 200. Less than that, you should, usually not. Again, you can get bargains, especially on the last day if people are willing to wait. But uh, be aware of that. If the das is cut on top, it can be puzzle, so be aware of that. Usually it's not going to happen. If the das is dry, it can be puzzle. Be aware of that. Uh, well, a little bit of time at the end, so I'm, I'm on overtime now. When you put the dasim in the holder, don't be rough. Because even if it didn't, if it started out mishulash, you'll make it not mishulash, because you're going to rip off leaves. Uh, either not mishulash or majority of the leaves fall off. Um, 
make sure it's wet on top, moist on top too. Sometimes it gets dry on top. That's not a good idea. It's not a slight puzzle, but it can cause problems later. Okay. Um, Aravis. They're all kosher. Just make sure they're not black. It doesn't mean they're puzzle, but they're ugly. So, uh, you know, when you buy, usually they sell them in a package of two. Unless, you know, they also sell them loose, but a lot, the most common way to buy is a package of two. Just look to the window. Make sure they're nice and green. What's possible is when they're dry. When they, they, they get very, very light green, close to white, and uh, on the brittle side. Okay, so uh, there's a discussion. Uh, it's called Livluv. I don't know if I have time to go into this now, but basically all the, all the rubbish you're going to get are, are, are kosher unless they're cut on top. Aravis have a little leaf on top that grows from the tippy-tippy top and they oftentimes fall off on the tree, similar to the pitam of the esrik. So there's a hidor that's called lavluv. You're going to hear little kids in the marketplace screaming out, Lavluv, lavluv, lavluv! What are you talking about? Are you selling lavluv? No, no, no. I'm selling aravis that have that little leafy thing on top that are for sure not cut. But even without the lavluv, if you could pretty, you could be pretty certain that if it did fall off, even though it looks like it's cut, but that most likely happened on the tree. So therefore, la halacha, that's kosher too. The problem with the lavluv is that they they they, they, they uh, wither very quickly. So when you put them in the lulav, a lot of times by the time you're done the first second day, they're already sagging, which is okay. But but uh, la halacha it's kosher, but you know it don't look so good. So people sometimes prefer dafka not to have lavluv, but many prefer to, yes, have lavluv. Yours truly, because they sunk me into the lavluv thing a while ago, I do get them, but then I replace them, uh, you know, whatever, two, possibly three times throughout the Chag. But to be aware of what that's about. Okay, but it's kosher without as well. Okay. Uh, the rabbis have to have the majority of the leaves within the three tfachim there. And uh, they're the most likely to fall off because they're the most sensitive to water. So be aware of that, that you have to have the majority of the leaves within the three tvachim counting from the top, still there. And of course, as we said, it can't be cut off and it can't be dry. Don't expect your meaning to last unless you do something about it. So the esrig could just be put in its box. The lulav minds its own business. The adasim you'll usually manage with, but it's not a good idea to just do nothing. And the Aravis will dry out within three or four days and they will likely become puzzle. I've seen many people in shul who just, I don't know, they didn't, they didn't go to Chappelle's, I don't know, they didn't learn this stuff. Uh, Aravis that are dry are puzzle. You could have a 500 shekel esrog, but if you're parading around with, a, with Aravis that are crinkly and then if I, if I tried to, to bend them, they, would, they wouldn't fold, they would uh, crack. So that's Aravis uh, Yavesha, it's no good. So you have to either buy a Ravis every day, which is not expected, or you got to preserve them. How do you preserve them? I have no idea. But I could, Why do I tell you I have no idea? Because I've tried many methods and none of them are foolproof. I'm going to tell you the methods. You'll try some of them. You might not be happy with them. Some people put a little bit of water in the bag if you get a lula bag and they put the whole lula in. I've tried that. It works pretty good. Even with that, usually you'll have to replace it once. Some people take a towel before yomtif. You're not allowed to squeeze on yomtif, gentlemen. So before yomtif, you take a towel, you saturate it, and then you give it a good squeeze. All you want is moisture. So you don't really want a thick liquid there. Squeeze, 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 squeeze. 
and then you wrap it around your uh, your minim, and some people and then put it into the case. If you have refrigeratability, some people slide off the whole thing, and then they wrap it in the towel and put it in with aluminum foil. You can't rip it on Yom Tov, so you do it before you put it in the fridge. These are different options. Rabbi Ruben Kamenetsky uh, Shlita used to teach here. He said oh, you, after you're done with it. Uh, you, uh, I think you could do this on Yom Tif. You could do it on Cholamayim. So you, you, you open it up and you give it a nice sprinkle of water. And then you put it back in the bag. And then they sell, I never really used it, they sell like little thingy dingies that you uh, stick the sticks into with a little bit of water and that's supposed to work wonders for them. I, I can't testify I never used them, but if you want to try it out, okay. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like a little, like a, it's like a mini, a, a mini flower vase. Or five of them, three adasim and two aravis, and you like stick it in. You put a cap on so it stays. Okay, want to be adventurous? Try that out. The advertising claims that it works, but either way, you gotta have water. That's the common denominator, gentlemen. It's not gonna work without water. The adasim, you might survive. I've seen adasim I was not happy with. Again. Maybe would survive the dryness test, but it's not like Mehudar exactly when Yahadasim look like 75 years old, you know, when they're very crinkly. Again, bottom line, the test is, is it, is it either very, very white or when you push it with a nail, does it crack? That's called dry, that's totally possible. And the Aravis are definitely going to get that way unless you take care of them. Okay. Uh, make sure that someone takes care. Maybe you can uh, ask uh, the Rabbanim here who are involved in Arab Yamtif. You, you need to put the meaning together. You need, you need you need to have know-how for that. Okay, we're not giving a, a, a mashir on that now. But basically, mom is very, very quickly. You take the lulav, you tie it up with three knots, and then you take your holder, which you also have to buy separately. Usually it costs five shekel or so. It's called a koshikal. So you know that term as well. Okay, here's my advice. Okay? You take the koshikal and you... You squeeze down the, the, the... Everyone know what a koshkal is? It's a holder that's made out of lulav leaves. Okay, you squeeze it down. Why am I squeezing it down? Because I want some space. And now I want to put in my leaves and I don't want to like jam it in. I'm going to rip off the leaves. You with me? So you squeeze it down. You make yourself a wider area. And then... I'm going to stick a neurotic, so... And then you do a little dance and you go like this. Okay, you don't have to do the dance, okay? But, you, yeah, but um, you know, you see the motion I'm doing is like, you're, you're applying pressure, but you're not jamming it in. Slowly, you can do it without the dance. But the ikker is you should leave yourself some space. If you have the tightness of the koshkul, a lot of times it's very hard to stick it in. If some leaves fall off, it doesn't disqualify it, okay? But, but why do you want to start up, right? Okay, the same with the other side. Now I'm ready to go. I stick my lulav into the middle. The lulav, the shidra, looks at me, right, meaning where the, where the spine is. The hadasim are on the right, three of them. The aravis are on the left, two of them. And then you tie the koshigal onto the lulav with another ring. Okay? The first ring that you put on the lulav is a different hugging, but none of these are crucial. Even if you took all the meaning without tying it together all together, you're still yotzei. Lulav ain't sarcheged for those who learned the sugya. But the rings on the lulav itself is a minhag. Um, where does the first ring go, gentlemen? If you're Svartik, so you tie it all the way up with pom-poms and we'll see in a moment where that, that comes from. 
if you're Ashkenazic, also not so well known, the proper practice is. Remember the Shidra? Remember? It wasn't at the top. It was where the leaves stopped coming out. Right there, you measure down a tefach. Ah, that hurt. You measure down a tefach, and you put your first ring underneath. Okay, why? I can't get involved in that, but that, that's the proper practice. Okay? Now, gentlemen, that ring is the highest, lechatchila at least, your hadasim and aravis are supposed to be. This is also a not so well known halacha. The hadasim and aravis lechatchila, the outset at least, some say it's crucial, but okay, we'll go with the more lenient approach that it's just the outset, should not go above a tefach below the shiva. We got that math over here? In other words, the hadasim and aravis don't go to here. And they don't even go to the Shidra. They go to a Tefach below the Shidra. Or below. That's another reason to not get a little teeny weedle lulav. Unless you're going to start trimming your Hadassim and Aravis. Uh, you can make it less than this year. If you have a nice dark Shidra that goes to here. Right? So I could have my, uh, you know, I could have very big Hadassim and Aravis. And then they're Tefach below the Shidra. Okay, those who want active demonstrations with pictures, happy to do it privately. Okay, but be aware of that. Okay. The Adasim should be slightly higher than the Aravis. The Fibshuto is because the Adasim are piled to the eyes, and the Aravis are piled to the mouth, to the human body, and the eyes are higher than the mouth. I think Kabbalistically, they suggest other reasons. Okay. As it says in the Heiliger Arts Consider, the way uh, an Ashkenazi that makes the bracha on the minim is uh, you take the lulav in, first in your right hand, if you're a righty, if you're a lefty, in your left hand, and uh, you hold the asterisk upside down. What's upside down? Pitam below, oketz, meaning the stick, up above. You make a bracha, the first day you make two brachas, all the other days, including the second day of Yamtif, you do not say a shechiyano, you only say one bracha, and then, without interruption, you carefully turn it around, especially if you have a pitten. You don't want to turn it around this way because then the pitten might bump into the lulav and fall off. Okay, maybe that's my neuroses, but just be a little careful. Okay, you turn it around, and now I'm ready for the action. Okay, Svartim, please correct me, Svartim, if I'm saying wrong. I think it's more customary for Svartim. You take the lulav in your right hand or the left. Uh-oh. You take the lulav in your right hand, period. Doesn't matter, righty or lefty. Okay, no esrit. Then you make the bracha, the brachas, and then you pick up the yesri. What are we trying to do with these various techniques? We're trying to make the bracha before we got the mitzvah. Because if we already have the lulav and the yesri in, in, in place, then we already got the mitzvah. And you can still make a bracha because you didn't shake it yet, but l'chadchila we try to do it before the mitzvah comes about at, uh, at, altogether. And now we're ready for the very, very intense um, hashkafic and halachic and kabbalistic idea that's called the nanun. Okay, so you get a hold of a good sitter, and you will see that here's the way to do Nanoim, except they don't say it all uh, directly. First of all, you hold the Lulav and the Esrik together, not like this. That's a certain dream that Rebbe used to quote from the Morgan of Ram, quoted one of the Kabbalists, that he had a dream that he was writing the name of Hashem, Yud, and then the Hey of Hashem he wrote on the other side, and then uh, uh, above and followed by the final K. So he woke up. So what's going on over here? So he went to his holy rabbi. He said, it's Sukkis. How are you holding your meaning? I said, what do you mean? I hold the, the lulav in the right hand with Adasim and the Ravis and I hold the last week over here. I said, there you go. Don't you know that the Dalit meaning are Yudke Vavke? 
and the name of Hashem is supposed to be together. So based on that Morgan Avram, it doesn't really say it in the Gemara. Based on Morgan Avram, the spooky capitalistic dream, so we hold the meaning together. Okay? You'd be say without it, but we try to follow the spooky dream too. And it's just an Indian. Wow, we're holding the name of Hashem. That's pretty exciting. They even point out Yud, that's the asterisk. Right? Hey, it's a little like flowery, that's leaves over there. Right? And then you have uh, the Vav, the Lulav. Yud K, Vav K. Unbelievable. Hashem meant business. He knows what he's doing. Everything's uh, patterned. So now we go like this. I made the bracha. And uh, they point out, it does, uh, we're all joking aside, Mamish Tikunim, the Lamas Al Yainim, the Malachim are dancing. Unbelievable things are happening. That's why by the Rebbe, they're shaking Mamish for half an hour. Once I saw Siddish Rebbe, I was there to get a bracha. So he broke the lulas within the new one. But no worry, they had another one from the bullpen. And probably had a few more. But we're going to get to the, That's not the way you're supposed to do it. You do it a little more gently. So here we go. If you're an Ashkenazi, you do a shake. If you're a Svardi, a little more British, you just do a wave. Okay? So first we're going to do Ashkenazic Nanuim. You ready? Basically, you start to the east, face the Yarn Kodesh, or wherever you are, east. You make a circle, and then you go up down. Very easy to remember. Okay, here we go. Back and forth three times. Shake, 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 shake. That's one, one set. Shake, 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 shake. Another set. Shake, 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 shake. The Ramos said it should actually turn the little upside down at this point. But that's not customary. What the minute is, we keep a little straight and we go, see, I'm shaking. Right? That's, a, that's another reason that Shlomo mentioned about the Korah. Some don't want to have the Korah because they want to be able to shake. If you're Svarti, so two things change. And uh, those who follow Minigagra also follow part of this. You don't shake, you just move. Flow. And Svartim actually change the direction based on their result. Those who follow Hasidic practice also do this. And please correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that's right, left, forward, up, down, back. Okay? If I got it wrong, you'll follow the local Benishchai or Ravadja Siddur. Uh, or Nusach Svarad Siddur. So I hope I gave it over properly. That's done by the Bracha, gentlemen, and it's done by the Hallel. Where in the Hallel? According to standard Ashkenazic practice, four Hodus, two Anas, and two Hodus. Four Hodus, how are there four Hodus? Only one Hodu in the Siddur and the first... Because you repeat after the Chazan each time responsibly. Everyone did this already. I don't know. I'm trying to... Okay, so you don't shake Hashem's name, that you stand Ve'ema. So one word per direction. See, my hands are shaking, right? If you're an Ashkenazi, if you're Sephardi, it's... Hashem ki... Very exciting, gentlemen. Once a year, Mitzvah, you get to it seven times. Thank you, Yechon and Zakeh. Yechon and Zakeh gave us seven days. Used to be one day outside of Nicholas. Now you have seven days to do this beautiful mitzvah. Honor's a little tricky. Because that's two per word. One of the words is no. So here's the way it goes. Oh, uh, no. Hashem. Oh, uh, she. Uh. So now you can sing the nigan first or afterwards. 
なbecause what could be more joyous than coming back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? But the primary Midas is Midas Ayira on uh, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Sukkis, the primary Midas is Midas Ahava. Simcha. So he explained that's why everything's double on Sukkis. The Karbonas are double, the Simcha's double. Because the Simcha of Sukkis is not only the Simcha of the Yom Tif itself, it's also the Simcha of being able to celebrate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu after the intense period of the Aseris Mechuba capped off by Yom Kippur. To keep all the mitzvahs of Kadesh Baruch Hu behidor, with the diktukim of the mitzvah, with the great romance behind the mitzvah, mitoch ava, mitoch yira. Happy to answer any individual questions. Oh, one final word. The lulav has to be owned by you the first day or the first two days. So that means two things. If you don't have a lulav or whatever, you don't have minim, or yours becomes possible for whatever reason, you need to get it from your friend, not as a borrowing, but as what's called a matona manasahazir, a present, in order to give back. He can give it to you as a total present, but then you have to make sure to give it back to him as a total present. You also can give it as a present in order to return. But one thing to be clear, and this is that people are not so adaptic on this. You've got to be careful about this. Uh, a rub is especially a lot of times sold by, sold by kids under bar mitzvah. That is not posh at all to buy, buy a rubbers from such children for usage on the first day or two. Because halachically, to buy from a cotton could be only works derabanan, not minatar. So one should be medactic to only buy from a gadol who's above bar mitzvah, should have uh, significant facial hair, or at least that you have a confidence that it's not he, it's not him who's selling it. He's just working for uh, Tony Goldberg, who reliable, uh, who's a, a, above bar mitzvah. Be aware of that. The rest of Cholamoy is no problem. You could buy, you could buy from a coffin, but not the first two days. A good job to tell everybody.